Hello, Church of the Beloved. My name is Abe. I'm the pastor for the Wicker Park campus. A few weeks back, the world seemed to implode as we all collectively witnessed the murder of George Floyd. And suddenly, all the atrocities and the injustices that have been perpetrated and executed against black Brown, red, even yellow women and men started to, to bubble up and come to the forefront of public attention. And it seemed that the, the, the white power, the white supremacy that's been entrenched in most of Western culture was being openly questioned um, and was starting to be seen through the lens of people of color. And at that time, in separate conversations among the pastors at the Church of the Beloved, we all came to this same realization simultaneously that we had to put our next sermon series, which even came up with a title for which is the gospel according to Exodus. We needed to put that on hold. And we needed to actually spend time considering what does the Bible say about justice. Now, Pastor Otua He's not the only one uh, among the pastoral staff that, that understands the importance and the vitality and the essential nature of this topic. But his passion for this topic led the pastors to say, you know what, you take the lead on this. Um, but like I said, we all as pastors believe that this was such an important, an extremely important topic. So I'm actually really glad Otua gave me a chance to preach about it this week because it is something that really is important to me as well. But before we dive into this topic, into this understanding of the biblical definition of justice, I want to ask you all if you could join with me in a prayer to start. Let's pray together. Almighty God, precious Father, I ask that the reality of your wisdom and the truth of your majesty that be made evident in the words I speak today. Use me as your instrument, God. In your son's name I pray. Amen. So a couple weeks ago, Pastor Otua, uh, he started this whole sermon series about how, how we are called to love God, uh, love like God loves, how we are called to be just as God is just. And he started the series by looking at how God's justice brings peace or shalom. Last week, he looked at the relationship between God's justice and power, specifically how, how God's justice requires those with power to engage in empowering those who do not have it. This week, I want to focus on justice and people, specifically how God's justice requires a diversity of people. And just as a side note, that diversity, that has been part of God's plan from the very beginning. Now, I'll say this. Um, I work in the software industry, and I, I think it's a pretty safe thing to say for most folks that um, the workplace today really wants Diversity, they see it as something that they should be striving for. But the reality is that it's a pretty recent idea. The anti-discrimination policies and laws, they came into being in the U.S. back in the 60s with the Civil Rights Act, which wasn't that long ago. But, but it wasn't until this century, until 2013, where large companies, specifically tech companies, uh, were being investigated and spotlighted because of their lack of diversity, and it caused each of them to at least start paying some lip service to an emphasis on diverse hiring practices. 
The thing is this, and this is my opinion, but I believe that the diversity that our workplaces say that they're striving for is not necessarily out of an innate understanding or belief uh, that it's a good thing. Uh, I, some might be. Some corporations really may be striving for diversity in their workforce because they, they desire justice. But in my opinion, I think a lot of folks, a lot of companies do it because they have to. It's the law. And, and in reality, the public, court of public opinion would eviscerate any company that didn't focus on diversity. You know, so the, the success of, of large corporations, Google or Microsoft, is partially dependent on, on them at least looking like uh, they're trying to be diverse. I mention this because the church, we don't even do that much. We, we don't strive for diversity in our congregation, but the truth is we're supposed to. You see, God's design, his plan, his intent from the beginning was for there to be diversity, not just at work, but in the church, in the community, in your home. So today what I want to do is I want to navigate this topic of how a gospel-infused, a Christ-bought justice requires the beauty of diversity. Okay, so today's message, I want to point out, it doesn't have like three points. There's no uh, alliterative allusion to help remember one main idea. It's just got a main idea. It's very simple. It's this. I'm going to say it again. Justice requires diversity. A gospel-infused spirit transforming Christ-bought justice includes beautiful diversity. And I want to start off by speaking of what I mean very specifically when I say diversity. I want to read from Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 again. Thank you very much, Elena, for, for reading that. But verse 9 says simply, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to, to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. This phrase, every tribe, language, people, and nation, and variations of it are repeated throughout the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from, the, from Genesis to the Revelation. And the, and the phrase, the concept behind it is typically linked to the promise that God made to Abraham, not me, the other Abraham in the Bible, Abraham, of his, from him, a diverse, upside-down kingdom would come. And in Genesis chapter 10, you see the beginnings of this diversity of people being created. Moses writes out the names of Noah's descendants. It's a table of nations. And he concludes this, his genealogical listings of Noah's descendants with this one phrase, by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. So from Genesis to Revelation, and God points to his intent and his desire for a diversity of people. So, so this fourfold formula, this tribe, clan, language, people, nation, it points to an understanding from God's perspective what diversity is, what God's design for a diverse kingdom looks like. And it's not limited to just race. See, culture, experience, gender, all of these things feed into the diversity of the unified body of Christ. Now, Pastor Otua and I, we had a conversation at the beginning of the week and we talked about and he said that I would be able to preach this week and he said, I don't know if he realized he was doing this, uh, but he proceeded to explain to me 
uh, all about Asian American culture. Now, essentially, Otua, you are blacksplaining Asian culture to me. And for those of you who don't realize, I'm Asian. Uh, and he started to explain to me all the issues that Asian Americans have in relation to what my cultural engagement with white culture or white superiority looks like. And I will be very honest with you. Listening to this young man who is 20, over 20 years my junior, explain to me about my culture and my issues with white power, it was disconcerting. It was dismantling because my pride really wanted to get in the way. But you were right. You opened my eyes, David, to a reality that I had honestly known but never put words to. One of the ideas that you brought up that I found fascinating and I think is true is this. Typically, the Asian American experience it centers around this idea that assimilation into dominant culture is the best and only way to succeed in that culture. And so the belief is that if I work hard enough, I get good grades, make lots of money, then I will be accepted into white culture. In other words, my assertion towards equality requires effort on my part to earn it. But the truth is, a friend told me this a long time ago. Another obvious thing is that I'm never going to be able to change my face. I'm always going to look like this, different to white eyes. Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23 actually states something very similar. In there, Jeremiah wrote, can the Ethiopian, and in the original Hebrew, by the way, it says, can the Cushite change their skin? Now, continuing on, Otua continued to explain to me the typical black assumption um, is this. All races are already equal. So it's the policies and prejudices in place today that have created inequality. In other words, I shouldn't have to uh, earn my equal standing in society because I already have it. It was really powerful. But then he ended his explanation to me by saying this. Asians want to be the favorite pet of the colonizers, and black people don't want to be a pet anymore. And I'll tell you, up until that point, you had me. You know, I, I was thinking, I don't know how, actually, I do know exactly how I feel about being called a pet, but that's something we'll talk about in another time. I, I'll tell you this, though. Hearing and having that conversation, that experience, it just really started to, to, to dwell, I dwelled on it, and I realized my family in Korea, my friends in Morocco, in Zambia, in Japan, in South Africa, they don't deal with this. But I think it is true where a minority culture is sitting in Western civilization and white authority does have dominance. So this diverse understanding based on David's experience and my experience towards a majority culture, this is diversity. This is the type of variety that God actually intends to bring into the body of Christ. God's design for an upside-down kingdom culture intends to engage in this mix of races, of languages, and experiences as well. This is the diversity that God intends for his kingdom. A, a beautiful diversity of experiences and cultures that God intended from the beginning to lead each of us closer to him and to one another as well. You see, a, a gospel-infused, spirit-transforming, a Christ-bought justice, it requires a beauty, a beautiful diversity that considers all these aspects of diversity. 
And this has always been part of God's plan. And this is the reality that God intended from the very beginning. I want to read to you a passage from Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. And it simply says this. Miriam and Aaron, uh, Moses' brother and sister, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. Now, some of you may already know this, um, but I'm going to provide a bit of context to those of you who may not. The land of Cush was a region south of Egypt. Right? And during the time of Moses, this area, the land of Cush, was a black African civilization. And I believe it, it was actually flourishing for over 2,000 years. So this passage that Moses wrote is explaining to the reader that his second wife, Moses' second wife, was black. And he said it twice to make sure absolutely no one missed that fact. You see, here's the thing. The Bible is not a story of white America bringing the gospel to the world. It's a story about God. It's a story about God and how his chosen ones, which actually start with Middle Easterners, Semitics, who, who were called to love the foreigners and the sojourners and care for the vulnerable. The Bible tells a story of how God how God uses and is continuing to use a community, a diverse community of lovers of God to continue to grow a diverse community of lovers of God. I, I grew up in a, a Korean church. I remember going to Sunday school as a kid, and my Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Lee, uh, she used to use, uh, tell stories using a Velcro Jesus. I don't know, back in the day they had these like, felt boards, and you could put up, like, pictures of different Bible characters. And, and I loved the stories, and I was thinking about it, and I realized every single one of those images were of white people, white men, white women. My parents moved me uh, into the suburbs for high school. I went to, uh, I lived in Skokie. I went to a school called Niles North. Uh, Skokie was a predominantly Jewish community at the time. I think it still is. Uh, they, they had a claim, they could claim that they had the highest number of Holocaust survivors for a period of time outside of Israel. And a friend of mine would always comment, and whenever we talked about Jesus or Christianity, he would always comment, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus was a Jew. <clears throat> in, in my head, I totally understood it, but I don't think it really dawned on me that the significance of that statement until I saw my first picture of a black Jesus. And I realized at that point, Jesus was not, Jesus is not an Anglo-Saxon white Protestant with a hipster beard and long hair. He was not a light-skinned man with blue eyes. No. Jesus was born a Middle Eastern man with dark olive skin who lived in a culture that, that actually considered community more important than individuality. He, he wasn't a Democrat. He wasn't a Republican, a Libertarian. He, he wasn't someone who believed that you could pull yourself up by your bootstraps. He wasn't focused on the individual. He was one who considered others before himself. He put the diverse body of Christ first, even to death on the cross. I mention this because one of the myths that I think we need to destroy is the Western view of biblical history. We cannot continue to portray Jesus, our Savior, as a Caucasian man. He is the Son of God who happened to be born ethnically Middle Eastern, but who did not consider his ethnic identity his primary identity. Listen, white is not innately good. Black is not innately bad. The only one that is good is God. 
And we are called to understand that the diversity of the body of Christ includes every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. From Moses' Cushite wife to the Samaritan woman at the well that Jesus spoke to, to the uh, immigrant refugee being detained, to, to a white pastor like Tim Keller, all of us are included in that. So a, a gospel-infused, spirit-transforming, Christ-bought justice must, it requires a beauty of diversity, this, a diversity that is intentional and part of God's design from the very beginning. And this diversity is rooted in the fact that we are image bearers of God and unified in Christ. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says this, and this was read a few weeks ago, but it says, So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. I I know it's very obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway. God did not start the creation of humanity with the creation of a specific race or ethnic group. God started the creation of humanity with humanity. Adam and Eve, they're not white or black. They're not European. They're not even Hebrew or Cushite. So the white church cannot proclaim them to be white. The black church cannot proclaim them to be black. The Asian church cannot proclaim them to be Asian. See, the diversity of clans and nations, languages and people, it does come. It is there, but it comes later in Genesis chapter 10 with the table of nations that I mentioned earlier. The genesis of humanity by God, the creation of image bearers of God, this is ascribed to all of humanity. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 and 29, it says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. We are all created as image bearers of God, intentionally made diverse. Not to segregate, not to separate us, but rather to emphasize how we are to be unified in the body of Christ. You see, the distinctions of race, gender, these are irrelevant when it comes to being able to proclaim our inheritance, the ability to cling to my standing as an offspring of Abraham, as an heir to the promise of God's upside-down kingdom is in Christ alone. But, but the distinctions of race and gender and experience, these things should be celebrated. These things must be embraced because it is the intent of God for his family to be diverse. I, I want to read from Romans chapter 12, verse 4 to 5. And there it says this, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of another. From the Old to the New Testament, from Genesis to the Revelation, we see God's story for humanity's redemption. We, 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 we can see that every one of us are created in the image of God. And we see that God intends for those created in his image to, to enjoy, 
a diversity of races and ethnicities and experiences, but we are unified. We are unified in creation. We are unified in purpose to glorify God. We are unified in Christ. And so therefore, we all have the same value. We are all equal. So a gospel infused, a spirit transforming, a Christ-bought justice, it requires a beautiful diversity of people, an intentional diversity that God planned and intended from before we were even born, from before time began. An intentional diversity that is rooted in this truth that we all bear God's image and that the elect are unified in our faith in Christ. But the unfortunate reality of our Western world is that a Western world that's dominated by, by white superiority, diversity is not necessarily desired or honored. You know, whether it's in, in, in institutionalized uh, by society or, or exercised by people, it is absolutely wrong to believe that any one race or gender or ethnic group is in any way superior to another. In God's design for justice, everyone is equal and diversity is good. So what's next? So, so if a Christ-bought justice includes a diversity of people, if, if a kingdom, and a kingdom with a capital K, if a kingdom-minded culture requires us to, to be inclusive of all tribes and clans and nations and people, what's next? I want to read to you a quote from uh, Pastor John Piper. He said this about diversity. He said, What seems to be missing among many Christians is a solid Biblical conviction that ethnic diversity in the church is a beautiful thing and part of God's ultimate design for his people. It is inconceivable to me that that a Christian can have a Christ-exalting love for diversity in the church and be hostile towards diversity in the nation. The the knee-jerk hostilities I see betray, it seems, a very thin veneer of politically correct tolerance of diversity instead of a deep, biblically grounded, cross-centered exuberance over God's plan to reconcile all nations to Christ. You see, the church, the church of the beloved is called to foreshadow the beauty of the diverse heaven. Last week, Otua, you gave a great illustration, I love this one, of injustice being a down escalator. That unless we are actively working against it, we are passively moving towards it. So active engagement in justice, it requires active pursuit of diversity. So I want to leave with some suggestions for us as a church, how we can actively engage in a gospel-infused justice. And I want to give credit where credit is due. These are not my suggestions. This is actually from a Christian rapper. His name is Shai Lin. He wrote these uh, out for Christians, uh, parents who were asking, how do I uh, have my children embrace ethnic diversity? And though these are for children, I believe that for adults, they're excellent as well. And the first thing is very simple. Educate yourself. My wife, Suzette, she has become a voracious reader thanks to audiobooks. And she's been teaching me so much about black culture by reading books about black culture from black authors. So I'm going to ask you, take the time, intentionally understand other cultures and experiences by finding those resources. And if you don't know where to email us, email me, I can get them to you. The second is this, interact. 
Just as we are intentionally going to educate ourselves by seeking authors of different cultures, I want you to intentionally seek interactions with people of different cultures. Now, don't misunderstand. If you're a, a, a white person in our church, this does not mean that you're going to reach out to Otua and take him out to dinner, though I'm sure he will enjoy free dinners as much as possible. But what I'm asking you to do is consider those things that you're doing today, whether it's going to the gym, uh, maybe going to a trivia night at a pub when the pubs open up again, or if you're a parent, extracurricular activities for your kids. Those moments develop intentional relationships, diverse relationships. Don't be creepy about those relationships, but please be intentional about looking for diversity in your friendships. And the last thing is this, just model it. You see, the the perpetuation of bigotry and, and white superiority, it happens when you and I allow it to go along unabated. You know, we may not be spitting out the vitriol that we're hearing, but is your silence unintentionally endorsing it? When your family members start sharing racially insensitive or just plain racist things, do you challenge them? Do you, do you respond with, I love you, Uncle Joe, but, but we are all image bearers of God. And God's design is for a beautifully diverse heavenly kingdom. So please shut your mouth. I know modeling it is going to be hard. That's the hardest one because it puts you at risk. It makes you puts you in a place of conflict and discomfort. And it could cost you relationships of friendships, family. But God's justice includes diversity. And God's gospel-infused, spirit-transforming, Christ-bought justice has been designed to include a beautiful diversity, a diversity of every tribe, every nation, every language, and every people. Will you join with me and ask the band to come up? We're going to close in prayer right now. You know, I'm going to ask you from wherever you are, wherever you're worshiping worshiping with us today, to take a moment. And what I share today may not be new to you. And it may be something you're already doing, in which case, thank God. But I, for everyone else, including you, consider, is there more that can be done to seek out the diversity that God intends in his heavenly kingdom? To allow us, as the beloved of God, to create, foreshadow a little bit of that diversity, that heavenly diversity while we're here on earth.